This episode is proudly sponsored by Honey Love. Calling all my honeys. Hey, whether you're a bride, a wedding guest, or simply seeking everyday smoothing, Honey Love is the go-to for all things shapewear. Seriously, they have revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. Plus, they won't ever roll down, no matter how much you groove on the dance floor. Honey Love Shapewear features lingerie-inspired design details that you'll want to show off and is made with breathable fabric that keeps you nice and cool. So, treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash choir. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com slash choir. This episode is also proudly brought to you by EarthBreeze. Hey, look, some New Year's resolutions are destined to fail, like my nightly bike ride. Lucky for you, I've got an easy resolution, and it'll make your life easier, be kinder to our planet, and transform the way you do laundry in 2024 by switching to EarthBreeze. Unlike liquid or powder detergent, EarthBreeze looks and feels like a dryer sheet but it's ultra-concentrated laundry detergent. And it couldn't be easier. You literally just throw a sheet in with your laundry, watch it dissolve in any wash cycle, hot or cold, and that's it. Right now, my listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash invisible. That's earthbreeze.com slash invisible for 40% off your subscription. The views expressed in the following episode are those of the subjects interviewed or individual presenters from the case. They do not necessarily reflect the views of Retreaks LLC or the Invisible Choir podcast. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We can't sleep. We don't eat. We don't. We just. We're living a nightmare. You know, I've watched movies that aren't as bad as what I'm going through and what we're going through. Karina Marie Castro was born in Redwood City, California in November of 1994. Her family moved around the Bay Area quite a bit before eventually settling in the nearby city of Sunnyvale, where Karina and her sister Maya grew up. Yeah, my name is Maya Castro, and Karina was my older sister. We were fortunate enough to speak with Maya, along with her husband Tanner, and her mother Audra. We share a dad, but my mom started raising Karina when she was two. Karina's four years older than I am. She taught me to read when I was four. Karina and Maya were extremely close. Growing up, Karina enacted sort of a do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do philosophy as the older sister while looking out for Maya. She was incredibly overprotective while also being kind of a risk taker herself. She took on that caregiver role, but it was very much like, don't do what I'm doing. Do the opposite, be better. After high school, Karina earned her GED and eventually met a child of her own with a man she was dating at the time. There were challenges early on because the child was born prematurely. It was a really scary pregnancy. She gave birth at 26 weeks. Um, The baby weighed a pound, just under a pound. And she spent just about every day at the NICU with her baby. Thankfully, Karina's firstborn turned out to be 100% healthy. And while the relationship with the child's father didn't exactly pan out, 
Maya says Karina took to motherhood naturally. As a 20-year-old trying to find her way in the world as a single mother, she did everything she could to provide a stable life for her newborn daughter. She found employment where she could and began driving for DoorDash among other contract gigs. Times were tough in the beginning, but Karina managed to make it work. In 2017, Maya moved to Arkansas, where she eventually met her future husband, got married, and had four children of her own. Though they were now several states apart, the sisters spoke on the phone regularly and made sure they stayed involved in each other's lives. We FaceTimed on a daily basis, so I would get off of work and we would immediately have a FaceTime call. According to Maya, things were going well for Karina and her baby girl back in California. She seemed happy. That is, until Karina met a new man in late 2019, an individual by the name of Jose Rafa Solano Landetta. It wasn't long after when Karina and Jose officially began dating. But out of all three family members we spoke with, not one remembers being too fond of him. Her sister Maya remembers the first time she met Jose after returning to California to visit family. She told us that her first impression was not exactly the best, to say the least. She had invited him to our grandma's house and he like showed up and met her outside and I guess acting super erratic and like blaming it on his mental health. And that was kind of the first inkling of like, okay, something's weird here. Maya and her husband wrangled up the kids and headed back to Arkansas not long after. And life went on as usual, for a while anyway. In January of 2021, Maya got a call from Karina. And during that call, she told her sister that she was pregnant with her second child and that the new man in Karina's life, Jose Landetta, was the father. Just like her first, Karina loved her second-born daughter unconditionally. Eventually, she and Jose moved into an apartment together with both girls. Conveniently, there was a unit available in the same building where Jose's mother and brother lived, located in a residential neighborhood off Magnolia Avenue in San Carlos, California. Early on, the move seemed to make sense. Karina appreciated having Jose's mother just down the hall to help watch the girls. But unfortunately, the living arrangement began to make less sense when Jose's erratic behavior began to rear its ugly head again. According to neighbors, shouting matches were a regular occurrence between Karina and Jose. They quickly became known as the couple down the hall who constantly argued as obscenities seeped through the thin walls of nearby apartment units. Before long, those arguments turned physical. Karina's mother Audra spoke to us about one of the first times she learned that Jose Rafa Landera had put his hands on her daughter after throwing Karina into their apartment wall. It wasn't concrete. It was almost like a stucco with like a concrete paint over it. Like it wasn't a very good wall, but it left her body imprint. And that's when the neighbor came out and had said, I'm going to call the cops if you guys don't stop. And his mom came out and told Rafa to leave before the cops got called. A few months later in April of 2021, Maya and her husband Tanner planned a trip to go see the new baby and stay with Karina and Jose for a few days at their apartment. 
They loaded up the kids, hopped into their vehicle, and embarked on the nearly 2,000-mile ride. While there, Maya and her husband immediately noticed that things weren't going well between Karina and Jose. In fact, there was a palpable tension in the air. Jose had even vented to Maya's husband the night before they were set to leave. Tanner provided Jose with some relationship advice that night. The following morning, he, Maya, and their children packed up and headed back to Arkansas. But not long into their drive, Maya received a phone call from her sister Karina. She was in a panic and told her that Jose had left one of the girls unattended inside of their apartment. The day that we were set to leave, we were driving home to Arkansas. She had left both kids with him in the apartment and he was supposed to watch them. And he loaded the baby up into a car seat and took off walking and left my seven-year-old niece alone all by herself in an empty apartment. They immediately turned the car around. And on the way back to Karina and Jose's residence, Maya's husband Tanner realized that the advice he'd given Jose the night before had been completely misinterpreted and was taken far too literally. It really blew me up because the night before that had happened, I was in a conversation with him while we were drinking and I had told him that the next time that he had gotten into an argument with Karina that he needed to just leave and then the next day he just left so i had to go to him after that and be like look dude i didn't mean you know leave the kid i meant leave the situation whenever you know that the kids are taken care of and stuff don't just get up and leave after arriving back at the san carlos apartment and speaking with jose my and her husband both realized there was something seriously wrong with this man karina was still in hysterics at the time and her sister Maya knew the kids were not safe with Jose. Ultimately, Maya and Tanner convinced Karina to pack her car right then and there and follow them back to Arkansas with her two daughters in tow. So we got her in her car, loaded her up real quick, and we all drove out to Arkansas together. It was like a real long two days of driving, but we got her out here and I was really, really hopeful that she was going to stay. Maya was proud of Karina for getting away from her abusive boyfriend and doing what was best for her children. She knew it wasn't an easy decision to make, but unfortunately it didn't last long. She kind of sat me down and broke it to me that she didn't feel comfortable with the things that were being said to her by him and his family about bringing the baby back. And she needed to go because she was afraid they were going to take legal action against her for leaving. Before they knew it, Karina had packed up her car and was on her way back to California with the two girls. No news was good news for a while when it came to Karina and Jose's relationship. But behind closed doors back in San Carlos, California, things were only getting worse. In April of 2022, Karina filed a restraining order against Jose Landetta, she never told anyone or disclosed what had happened, not even to her sister Maya. But Karina did inform her that Jose had moved out of the apartment and into his father's house in the town of Hayward, less than a half hour away from San Carlos. Karina didn't get into the specifics, but her and the girls remained at the San Carlos apartment. However, relations with her estranged boyfriend's mother, who lived only two doors down, became increasingly volatile during that time period. 
Karina knew she had to get out of that apartment and had been actively looking for a new place to stay in early fall of 2022. It was around that time that Maya remembers a conversation she had with her sister when she was pleading with her to get away from Jose and his family for good. I had told her all these nicer words that she needed to stop messing around with crazy dudes. She kind of had taken it as like a joke, but I I was being very serious in the fact that like I felt, you know, she had young daughters and she needed to keep herself safe for them. This episode is proudly sponsored by Fabric by Gerber Life. You know, every time I go back and look through photographs of my daughters from the last couple of years, I realize how quickly the time passes us by. And then it hits me that I'm also getting older. And that's one of the reasons why preparing for my family's financial security in the future has become one of my top priorities, making sure that if, for whatever reason, I'm not here tomorrow, they are still taken care of. And Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to get protection that's right for your family. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. It's all online and on your schedule, so there's no appointments, scheduling, or piles of paperwork. You just apply when it's convenient for you. And you could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Think about it. If you were gone tomorrow, would your family be covered? Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash invisible. That's meetfabric.com slash invisible. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash invisible. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. This episode is also proudly sponsored by Rocket Money. All right, story time. I was recently watching a rather large football game on TV, and the streaming service I used kept freezing and buffering. Now, needless to say, it was a rather unenjoyable experience, and I spent more time trying to log back into the service than I did actually watching the halftime show. But thanks to Rocket Money, I didn't have to spend any more time tracking down how to cancel that subscription when I'd finally had enough. Instead, I was able to cancel with a tap using Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I love it. I've been using it now over a year, and I can see all of my subscriptions and recurring expenses in one place. And if I see something I don't want or that I forgot about, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service or start a battery of emails. So, stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com invisible. That's rocketmoney.com slash invisible. Rocketmoney.com slash invisible. Just before noon at approximately 11.50 a.m. on Thursday, September 8th, 2022, several witnesses watched as a large man, appearing to be in his early to mid-30s, approached a woman standing on the sidewalk in San Carlos, California. While out front of her apartment complex located on the corner of Magnolia Ave and Laurel Street, the man began verbally accosting the woman. With both now just inches from each other, the woman began yelling back at the man, and a heated argument quickly ensued. 
Moments later, onlookers became confused when the man standing over six feet tall and weighing around 300 pounds suddenly stopped what he was doing and began walking in the complete opposite direction. For a brief period, it was unclear if the altercation was over. However, a few seconds later, passers-by leaving brunch at a nearby diner stopped as they witnessed a man grab a long shaft from the trunk of his car parked nearby. Witnesses then saw him proceed aggressively back toward the woman. As he got closer, witnesses could now see that the long object he was wielding in his hand was actually a full-sized samurai sword. With little time to react, the largely built male began violently slashing the blade toward the woman, striking her once in the arm and almost severing it completely. The woman tried to get away, but as she turned to run, the man swung the sword again. After only making it a few short steps, she stumbled and fell into the street. As she lay there, helplessly screaming for assistance, the crazed individual continued to swing the sword downward, delivering countless more blows to her neck and shoulder region. Several witnesses stood idly by, frozen in total fear, while others called the police, reporting that a large man was standing over a woman, relentlessly hacking into her body. Several people watched but also heard the victim's screams become reduced to mere whimpers, and then silence. Still, the man wouldn't give up, until she was virtually decapitated there in the street. This is a 25-year-old female. The first calls of a beheading in the residential neighborhood came into 911 that afternoon about 12.14 p.m. Units had already been dispatched as more calls came pouring in, reporting that the man was still swinging the blade into his victim long after she'd stopped moving. Just then, another witness noticed a police officer conducting a traffic stop roughly a block away. In an effort to divert the killer's attention away from his victim, the witness yelled out to the man, There's a cop. The police are here. Authorities had yet to arrive, but the witness's cries were enough to make the man come to and snap from the murderous trance he was in. Finally, the suspect then lowered his weapon and took off running. Simultaneously, the witness who had noticed the traffic stop sprinted toward the officer across the street to get help. Moments later, responding officers finally arrived with red and blue lights flashing and sirens wailing. The suspect had managed to escape in his own car, but after driving a few blocks, he seemed to have a change of heart. Not long after, he returned to the scene of the crime, accompanied by his mother of all people. The attacker was then seen approaching officers before lifting up and walking under the yellow caution tape, already securing the crime scene. After a voluntary surrender, the suspect was taken into custody without further incident. The female victim had already been covered up by a white blanket after she was found in the middle of the street wearing only her pajamas. Given the extent of her grave injuries, she was immediately pronounced dead at the scene. The afternoon of this vicious homicide, Lieutenant Eamon Allen with the San Mateo Sheriff's Office held a press conference. 
As always, a few specifics of the crime itself were being released preliminarily. An obviously deceased female in the street in that area. Uh, they began to work the scene, and shortly thereafter, the male suspect arrived back in the scene and was quickly detained by sheriff's deputies. Uh, he was later placed under arrest for homicide. We can confirm that a stabbing instrument was used in the commission of the crime. That weapon is still outstanding. We are not releasing the victim's identity right now, pending notifications to family. And anyone with information on this incident is encouraged to contact the sheriff's office. While the victim had not yet been publicly identified, the Castro family feared for the worst. Karina's sister Maya told us that she'll never forget the afternoon of September 8th, 2022, when she first got the feeling that something was terribly wrong. I had gotten a, a message on Facebook from a girl from our hometown that was friends with my sister, and she said, hey, I'm just wondering if you've talked to Karina. There's this news article outside her apartment, and the name of the person who was arrested is her boyfriend. So I read the article and it was really like nondescript. Somebody had been attacked. There was no specific details, but I got that like panic in my chest. And so I called my sister twice. Then I called my grandma, my Nana in California. I just asked her if she had heard from her. You know, there was a, a weird article that somebody had sent me and that I just kept reiterating, like, I need you to check on her. I need you to make sure that she's okay. She's not answering her phone. And maybe 20 minutes later, um, my Nana calls me back and she said, it's Karina, she's dead, like, we're getting a hold of the police. Um, but nobody contacted us, nobody contacted your dad, but it's her. And by the time that I made it out to get into the car, I just completely broke down and was in my driveway screaming. Maya's grandmother had to reach out to the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office in order to find out Karina was, in fact, the person who had been murdered. According to Maya Castro, authorities failed to reach out to any of Karina's immediate family the day she was killed. Martin Castro, Karina's father, found out from hearing about the gruesome attack on the news. While the story first broke as it was happening, the very first media broadcast of the incident showed Karina's apartment from a helicopter aerial view. Live on television, Martin Castro witnessed the white shroud being placed over the body in the middle of the street and instantly recognized Karina's apartment. After rushing to the scene just moments after it had happened, Martin's worst fears came true when he was met by police at the scene. When the deputy walked up, he would not confirm who it was, but I said, did she own that black Volkswagen? And he said, yeah, that's her car, that's my daughter. To make matters even worse, Karina's father was approached by reporters not long after he arrived. Through tears and clearly still in shock, Martin addressed the media while standing in the same spot his daughter had just been murdered, watching through tears as San Carlos firefighters washed away his daughter's blood from the street with their hoses. I miss her already. My heart is empty without her. She was my best friend. I miss her. I just want I miss her. I'd give my life for her in a second. I should have been here. And all I keep telling myself is, I failed. That's how I feel. And I don't want anybody else to feel this way. 
This broadcast wouldn't air until the following day on September 9th, 2022, the same day Karina Castro was officially publicly identified as the victim. While Karina's father was outspoken in the media from the very beginning, the authorities weren't saying much. During the September 8th press conference, Lieutenant Allen did reveal that the suspect was having a, quote, medical emergency at the time of his arrest, and that he was being taken to a nearby hospital to be cleared before being booked into jail. When reporters asked about the nature of the suspect's medical emergency, law enforcement declined to comment further, though it was later revealed that the suspect was suffering from some sort of mental health episode and was seen literally frothing at the mouth at the time of his surrender. Lieutenant Allen then went on to vaguely address the grim nature of the crime scene first responders were met with only a few hours before. Well, anytime someone uh, loses their life, it's certainly a tragedy. Uh, as far as the shocking nature of it, um, I do know that uh, the deputies that first arrived on scene were a little beset by the scene. Uh, we are providing them peer support. We're also providing uh, support for the witnesses that were on scene as well because there were several civilian witnesses. So certainly we're providing them support uh, based on, on the nature of the crime. When the interview with Karina's father first aired the day after her murder, Martin Castro publicly announced what everyone close to Karina already knew, that the killer was 33-year-old Jose Rafa Solano Landetta, her estranged boyfriend and father to their one-year-old daughter. I didn't like him from day one. He's been nothing but trouble since the day he came into her life. When she got pregnant by him, my heart dropped. It was later revealed that Karina's two daughters were inside the apartment at the time she was attacked there out on the street. Thankfully, neither of the children witnessed the horror that occurred several feet below, just outside their window. Following the attack, Karina's girls were immediately handed over to Child Protective Services. The family dog and two cats were removed from the home as well and taken by animal control. Just like Maya and the rest of the family, Martin Castro was aware of Karina's relationship and that she'd been subjected to Jose Landetta's abuse almost as soon as they became romantically involved. When Martin Castro was asked what he thought should happen to Jose, he showed no hesitation in expressing that his daughter's killer deserved the maximum, which in the state of California is technically death, though the actual carrying out of executions has been abolished in the state since 2019. I don't feel he should continue breathing. I think the death penalty would be perfect for him. A warning now, this next story is extremely grim and very disturbing. A man beheaded a woman with a sword on the street in the middle of the day in front of witnesses. This happened in San Carlos, that's just south of San Francisco. It didn't take long for the story of the grisly sword attack to spread well beyond the state of California and to make national headlines. In the hours that followed, more details came to light, not from the authorities, but from the several witnesses who kept popping up on the news. A neighbor who lived directly across from Karina spoke to reporters, providing his recollection of the horror as he saw it as he was returning home at the time of the murder. The head was underneath the car and she was laying in the back of the car, just severed, and then they covered her up. Police had yet to publicly verify any specifics of the sword at this point, 
But during a different interview conducted by ABC7, Karina's father and grandmother provided more background information along with a potential motive. A lot of details came out as a result of this particular interview, including the fact that just hours before the murder, Karina Castro and Jose Landetta had a heated argument through social media, specifically on Snapchat. During the volatile exchange, Karina Castro allegedly threatened to expose her estranged boyfriend, Jose Landetta, regarding a prior rape conviction where he allegedly sexually assaulted an unconscious minor back in 2012, a conviction in which the charges were ultimately downgraded to one count of unlawful sexual intercourse with a victim more than three years younger. Alarmingly, Landetta received just three years of probation for that crime, and after completing all the requirements of his sentencing, the conviction itself was later expunged from his record, It was Landetta's dirty little secret, though Karina had apparently uncovered one more. According to digital records, Karina also indicated a plan to disparage Landetta regarding a separate allegation, an alleged secret romance Landetta may or may not have been having with another man. You want to put a target on my back? Your homie's going to know the real you. According to the Snapchats, Jose alleged that Karina also threatened his mother and brother, who still lived in the same building as her. She went on to specify that she'd hired East Palo Alto gang members to come and kill them. You got a target on your back, too. Haha, <laughs> already got a green light. Tell your mom to plan a fucking service. I got someone out there right now, <laughs> looking for you. I'm gonna have someone on you at all times. Jose Landetta responds at one point during the Snapchat conversation by saying, quote, Fuck around and find out. The comment was followed by a series of ninja emojis, depicting a masked character holding a cartoon samurai sword behind his back. Karina Castro then fired back with the following. Dude, go ahead and try to take my ass out. Arguments over child custody were a high point of contention during the argument. Landetta at one point threatens Karina by telling her that their one-year-old daughter was sure to take his last name and not hers. The day after the online dispute, Landetta proceeded to message another friend on Instagram while he was at work the morning of the killing. In the message, Landetta told his friend that he was going to pay Karina a visit. She looking to get smoked, blood. She need to get 86'd. I'm gonna have to do what I gotta do, bro. This episode is proudly sponsored by Beam. Okay, what are three carefully placed pillows, a fan, a sound machine, a strategically placed cup of water, and a pitch black room all have in common? That's what I need to fall asleep at night. That's why I was super excited to try Beam's Dream Powder. It's a science-backed, healthy, hot cocoa for sleep. And if you know me, you know that if I don't get a great night's sleep, I'm struggling the next day pretty bad. Then I feel like I've tried just about every supplement or gummy that's available on the market and about 80% of them leave me feeling extremely tired and groggy the following day. But not the dream powder and that's one of the many reasons I love this stuff. Dream contains a powerful all-natural blend of reishi, magnesium, L-theanine, 
melatonin, and even nano-CBD to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. And today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their science-backed healthy hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Better sleep has never tasted better. Don't believe me? The numbers don't lie. In a clinical study, 93% of participants reported Dream helped them get better sleep. If you want to try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder, get up to 40% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com slash choir and use code choir at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash choir and use code choir for up to 40% off. This episode is also proudly sponsored by Roe. Let's get real for a second. When I went back and watched the gender reveal video for my daughters last year, I couldn't believe that the man standing in the frame was actually me. I had really let myself go for a while and was feeling generally unwell and unhealthy at a heavier weight. So I did something I'm proud of. I worked really hard and lost about 25 pounds. And then I gained back about 15 and lost 10 more and gained back five more. And you know how that vicious cycle goes. But recently someone asked me, what if you could take a weekly shot to lose weight and actually keep it off? That's where Roe comes in. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. And the Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Seriously, over 200,000 people to date have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. And it's super convenient. You can sign up from the comfort of your own home, meaning there's no scheduling a doctor's appointment, no commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. Yeah, it sounds pretty incredible. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year, with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to row.co slash invisible. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash invisible. Moments later, Landetta lied to his boss, claiming he felt sick and subsequently left work early. He then drove from Berkeley, California, and traveled roughly 20 miles south to his home in Hayward, where he retrieved the samurai sword. Landetta then got back into his vehicle and drove about another hour and a half west, crossing the San Mateo-Hayward Bridge, before arriving at Karina's apartment in San Carlos. Once there, Landetta exited his vehicle and began verbally accosting Karina Castro, before eventually attacking her with the sword and executing her there in the street. Aside from Jose Landetta's documented history of domestic abuse, the now-accused murderer was also a rapper who went by the stage name Kalen Opus. Technically, we're unable to play his music due to copyright constraints. What we can tell you is that his YouTube channel has 31 subscribers, and that his song Shinano particularly showcases his apparent affinity for Japanese weaponry, specifically with samurai swords. During the ABC7 interview, Karina Castro's family revealed a crucial aspect that would wind up playing a significant role in Jose Landetta's defense somewhere down the line. He is a diagnosed schizophrenic on meds, and he would use that as an excuse for his behavior. He drank excessively, and you're not supposed to do that on those kind of medications. Karina Castro's grandmother also informed ABC7 reporter Dan Noyes 
that she was actively in the process of attempting to gain custody of Karina's two girls. She also provided her own sentiments regarding what she hopes happens to the man who killed her granddaughter. Oh, I want those girls. That's what I want first. Then I want Rafa to I want, fry in jail. I don't I want, care what happens to him. She was an amazing girl. She was an amazing woman. Very stubborn, determined to raise her daughters on her own. And if there's somebody out there abusing your daughter, don't, take don't no. let it go. Don't take no for an answer. That's you will I, feel I, responsible no matter what anyone says. Just days after Karina Castro's life was so violently taken, friends and family gathered around a makeshift memorial at the crime scene to pay their respects. We all used to be mutual friends. We all hung out, all of our kids hung out. We would never, any of us would never expect anything like this, nothing, to be honest. So we're all kind of like lost for words. Can't even really, the lost for words really just can't even really speak right now. But yeah, RIP. Flowers, candles, and homemade poster boards with images of Karina's face occupied the very sidewalk where she was first attacked. While authorities remained tight-lipped about their investigation, the media continued in their pursuit of gaining any information they could, whether it be factual or not. What a sweet girl. She didn't deserve in this mess. She had two little children struggling every day like the rest of us. And um, her boyfriend um, wasn't bad looking. Nice look. I mean, they seemed like they got along, but they didn't. Salacious headlines such as California sword slang had inevitably made their way to most major news outlets by now. And as there often is with cases involving such rare and extreme violence, public intrigue was at an all-time high, as were rumors and speculation. She was putting him in the car and raised her head and he cut her head off. And the children saw everything. Everything. It's unclear if Karina was ever actually inside of her vehicle at any point during the attack, as some witnesses have claimed. Perhaps at one point she was and was attempting to seek refuge. What Karina Castro's family did tell us is that there was a lot of misinformation being spread around after the tragedy occurred, including stories of Karina's children having been there in the backseat of her car at the time of her murder, which Maya says is definitively untrue. There have been pieces of the media where, like, you know it's not right, but it's the media, and I feel like that's what they, like, intend to do, is to put out whatever's going to get them all of the clicks that they're looking for. On Monday, September 12, 2022, Jose Landetta appeared in court for the very first time following Karina's murder. Well, the suspect did make an appearance in court. He did not, however, enter a plea. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at some video here. He uh, appeared in court. He did not respond to anything that happened in the courtroom. He stood up when he was told to. He had a mask on. He kept his head down the entire time. This is 33-year-old Jose Solano Landetta. Uh, his attorney requested that he receive a psychological evaluation. The court agreed. The judge ordered the criminal uh, proceedings suspended while they do that psychological evaluation. Given the fact that Landetta was previously diagnosed with schizophrenia prior to the murder, the conversation surrounding a possible insanity defense was inevitable. Following his initial court appearance, Karina Castro's father, Martin Castro, was not shy in voicing his own opinion on the matter while standing directly out front of the courthouse. We all know him very well. Everything he's doing in there is an act. It's an act. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. If anything, it's premeditated. 
How is that an insanity plea when you knew what you were doing? She'd make excuses for him. That's the big problem. I knew he was capable of hurting her. I didn't think he'd kill her. I sure didn't think he'd try to do what he did. After his initial hearing, Robert Cummings, the defense attorney representing Jose Landetta, offered up the following to local reporters. It is a, sadly a, a soul that is riddled with schizophrenia, and I'm hoping that um, these doctors can come back with an evaluation uh, that will lead us to get him where he needs to be in the system. Karina Castro lost her life at just 27 years old. Her funeral was held on September 25th, 2022, at a chapel in Redwood City, California, where the family was forced to kneel before a closed casket. As for her killer, Jose Landetta eventually entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. However, following the completion of several psychiatric evaluations, it was determined that he was, in fact, fit to stand trial. And in February of 2023, the accused murderer sat down with ABC correspondent Dan Noyes during a jailhouse interview. I'm here at the McGuire Correctional Facility in Redwood City, where I just had a face-to-face meeting with Jose Rafael Solano Landetta. He talked about every aspect of his crime. He's standing trial for basically beheading the mother of his child, Karina Castro. During the February 2023 interview, Landetta told the media that on the day of the murder, he left work to retrieve the samurai sword from his father's house in Hayward, a sword which he claimed belonged to his father. He also revealed that until the afternoon of September 8, 2022, the sword served only as a decoration in the home. Landetta then went on to say that when he arrived at Karina Castro's apartment, He witnessed her exit the building, proceed to her own vehicle, and retrieve a knife before advancing toward him. In his new version of events, Landetta claimed he feared for his own life and therefore deemed it necessary to retrieve a samurai sword from his trunk and then return to the scene and effectively mutilate his estranged girlfriend, all by means of self-defense. The only problem with this new version of events was that, according to San Mateo County DA Steve Wagstaff, there was no knife, and after a thorough search of the crime scene, no blade was ever recovered aside from the sword, which was later found in Landetta's trunk. Furthermore, not a single witness ever reported seeing Karina Castro with a weapon at any point during the attack or in the moments leading up to her murder. Before ABC 7's Dan Noyes left the jail, Landetta candidly expressed to him that he hoped to receive a lighter sentence due to his mental health, and that whatever time he ends up getting, that it's spent in a psychiatric facility rather than in prison. The San Mateo County District Attorney would later go on to express his surprise regarding the ABC expose, questioning why Landetta would take such an interview in the first place. His conflicting accounts and the offering up of any information to the media from jail seemed like a rather impractical move. From a legal standpoint, the ABC interview alone had the potential to sabotage any semblance of a defense as attorneys were already in the process of preparing. Jose Landetta was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic long before the homicide occurred. However, several months after his arrest, He was medically cleared to stand trial by every psychiatrist he met with while in jail. 
given that fact alone, naturally it would be extremely difficult to convince a jury that Landetta was insane at the time he committed the murder. As a result of those findings, and roughly nine months after the jailhouse interview was conducted, Jose Landetta's attorneys announced a change of plea, the week of jury selection. Instead of pursuing their original insanity defense, Landetta's attorneys would now try to prove that he was not guilty by reason of an, quote, imperfect self-defense. Defense attorney Robert Cummings briefly addressed what exactly this meant outside of the courthouse on day one of Jose Landetta's trial. Imperfect self-defense may mitigate a, a first-degree murder down to manslaughter. Um, a perfect self-defense would, would result in an acquittal, and it's a question of what, what was really going on in his mind. When opening statements were heard on November 7th, 2023, Landetta's attorneys argued that he was off of his mats in the days leading up to the murder. They also claimed that the threats Karina Castro made to both him and his family via social media caused an irrational yet genuine fear that his own life, along with his loved ones, were in danger, and therefore used a sword to eliminate said threat in self-defense. They also mentioned how Landetta was allegedly frothing at the mouth at the time of his arrest, and that he apparently didn't speak for two and a half months while behind bars. No camera or audio recordings were allowed inside the courtroom, but here's a direct quote from Landetta's attorney, taken from the official courtroom transcript. The reason he moves out is because they had issues. He visited his baby daughter on the weekend. She says, before you come on the weekend, your mother and brother will be dead. That's what gets him in the car to drive to San Carlos. He's expecting six to ten gang members will be there. He took the sword for protection. She has a pink knife and a black knife. But something that the victim's sister, Maya Castro, told us regarding information the media had left out was that at trial, the state presented even more Snapchat messages between Karina and the defendant, which indicated that Karina had tried to defuse the situation before it turned ugly online. What I wasn't aware of until I went to opening statements um, for trial was some of the interactions that they were having that day and the night before. And I, th I think it's important to mention that the night before all of the messages that were all over the media had come about, she was apologizing to him and, um, you know, telling him that he was her family and that she was sorry and that she just wanted him to come to her apartment and talk to her, um, which is something that I think a lot of victims of abuse do is they have that trauma bond with that person and they take all of the responsibility and put it on themselves. Um, but before there were ever like volatile messages that have been strewn all over the media at this point, um, she was taking the blame for whatever that argument started about. She was completely putting it all on herself and trying to calm the situation down. According to the Castro family, these facts were all left out of the public narrative. The state argued that Landetta was purely motivated by vengeance and that the murder was a planned attack that occurred over an extended period of time. 
Prosecutors presented the many opportunities Jose Landetta had to back out the day of the killing, highlighting the many points he never did, including the fact that he drove several miles to and from work, then to his father's house to obtain the murder weapon. It was also revealed in court that Landetta had changed into dark clothing when he arrived at his father's residence, before retrieving the sword and then traveling to Karina's to confront her. According to the state, all of these factors support a distinct level of premeditation. Photos of Karina's body were also shown to the jury. Tears rolled down the faces of some while one juror was seen raising his hand to his mouth in disbelief while viewing the horrific images. The photographs showed Karina lying in the fetal position with her hands defensively reaching toward her neck post-mortem. With respect to the additional facts presented by the state, it was revealed that the defendant actually blocked Karina's car in with his own vehicle before the murder, effectively trapping her. Maya Castro, who was present throughout the entire trial, says this happened before Jose Landetta struck Karina in the face with a closed fist. He pulled his car up to the curb. He put it nose to nose with her car and his car was facing the wrong direction on the side of the street that it was. They were both standing at the front of each of their cars and she said something along the lines of like, what are you going to do, hit me? And he punched her in the face. They said she was incapacitated and she had turned to like try and get away from him. He walked to his car, he pulled out the sword, and then he followed her. And what was really like alarming to find out is that on the sidewalk, on what her path would have been to try and get around to the back of her car, they found chunks of her hair in the grass because he was swinging at her from a distance. Maya also spoke of additional evidence the jury was presented in the courtroom, specifically items found in Landetta's vehicle the day of the murder. The sword was inside his car, um, and all of the pictures from inside his car feature like a box of diapers and a picture of my sister. It was like one of her like pretty Instagram pictures printed out and it was in his car. The murder weapon itself was also shown to the court. Still had her blood on it. It was bent and damaged. The handle was damaged just because of how brutal everything was. The defense chose to stick to Landetta's more recent claims that Karina Castro was actually the aggressor the day she was killed and that she was the one who attacked Landetta first with a knife as heard previously from that ABC jailhouse interview months before. To Maya Castro and the rest of Karina's family, these claims were not only patently false, but were disproven by the evidence. And a justifiable killing by means of self-defense was simply implausible. It doesn't make sense to me as to how he could claim this wild claim of self-defense when he physically assaulted her and then essentially chased her down. Several witnesses testified for the state, including members of law enforcement, all of whom told the jury that Karina Castro was never seen with a knife at the time she was killed. On Monday, November 13th, Jose Landetta testified and answered questions asked by his attorney for nearly three hours. 
However, upon cross-examination, Landetta became unresponsive while on the stand, almost catatonic, and failed to answer any questions posed by the state. His lawyers claimed he was suffering from a panic attack at the time. However, the prosecution alleged that he was simply putting on a show for the jury, blaming his mental health yet again to evade responsibility. For the remainder of his trial, Landetta refused to attend the proceedings in person. Regardless, the judge ruled they would move forward accordingly, with or without him in the courtroom. A key highlight for the state was when the psychiatrists who'd evaluated Landetta behind bars took the stand. Every one of them testified, stating that the defendant had either shown no signs of psychosis following the murder, or as one doctor put it, his prior diagnosis of schizophrenia, which was established long before the crime was committed, held no casual nexus to the murder of Karina Castro. After a nearly two-week trial, Jose Rafa Solano Landetta was found guilty of first-degree premeditated murder on Monday, November 20th, 2023. And roughly two months later, on Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, now 34-year-old Jose Solano Landetta was sentenced to just 26 years to life in prison with the possibility of parole. Defense attorney Cummings had this to say outside of the courthouse that day. This is a case that happened in front of four eyewitnesses. Uh, it was uh, done in, in a very vicious manner. He doesn't have delusions or whatever, but he was pretty sure he was going to walk out the front door. I was not as optimistic myself. California needs to change the way it treats uh, paranoid schizophrenics who have proven that they've had issues. After handing down the final ruling, Judge Lisa Novak was quoted stating that this was the most difficult trial she's presided over in her entire career. Judge Novak also went on to state the following. The incredible act of violence demonstrated in this case is not in any way a byproduct of the defendant's mental illness. Judge Novak concluded by stating that the sentence imposed, quote, just does not feel sufficient for the crime. Karina Castro's father, Martin, shared the judge's sentiment, but was appalled by the ruling. He vehemently expressed his frustrations outside the San Mateo County courtroom just moments after sentencing. That's exactly how I felt, to a T. It's not enough. California is insane as far as that goes. I don't understand it. If he was, if he used a gun, he'd, he can get life without parole. He can get the death of whatever. Now he's not eligible because he cut her head off in the street. How does that work? Martin's question how does that work, was something we were just as curious to figure out ourselves. 25 years to life in prison is the assigned mandatory sentence for those convicted of first-degree premeditated murder in the state of California. And yet, the judge was only able to add an additional year to Landetta's sentence because of the weapon used in this horrific crime, a weapon that apparently also warranted some confusing flexibility with regard to the possibility for parole in this case. But how is this possible, especially when considering that California is technically still a death penalty state, even though it has effectively been locally banned by the governor since March of 2019? After speaking with the Castro family and looking into California law a bit more closely, according to Penal Code 190.2, In order for Jose Landetta to have received either life without the possibility of parole or death, 
the state would have had to pursue what's called a special circumstances clause, which inevitably the court-appointed state district attorney did not in this case. But what are those special circumstances? Well, we're glad you asked. They're essentially aggravating factors, which, oddly enough, change from time to time whenever state legislators see fit. Here are just a few examples of so-called special circumstances that could have potentially constituted a sentence of life without the possibility of parole or death in the state of California. If the murder was committed using a bomb, if the murder was committed by using poison, if the murder involved torture of the victim, if the murder was committed during a drive-by shooting, if the murder was committed by lying in wait. The list is extensive, but nowhere in the penal code does it mention decapitation or murder via a samurai sword. In other words, they're not considered special circumstances in California. Now, that's not to say that the prosecution couldn't have pursued one of the many special circumstances on that list. However, in doing so, the state potentially risks the chance of failing to meet the special circumstances requirement, which may have actually resulted in Landetta receiving an even lesser sentence, which, worst-case scenario, would have been an acquittal. We couldn't help but think how unfair this all seemed, even from a judicial standpoint. But to hear a judge disagree with a sentence he or she is required to impose as a result of the jury's verdict is not something you hear every day. We also felt it crucial to gain the Castro family's perspective on all of this and to ensure that their voices were heard, specifically as it relates to a law that essentially provided Karina's killer with the possibility of one day walking free. Knowing that... At some point, my nieces may have to go up to a parole board and give an impact statement for what happened to their mom is just insane to me. There, there should be no opportunity to, to be a free human being again. We live with a life sentence, so he should have to as well. During our conversation, Maya, along with the rest of the Castro family, expressed that there is no closure. There is no peace of mind. And there was most definitely no justice served in this case. Forcing a victim's family to attend parole hearings indefinitely, year after year, can only be perceived as a mental prison that no innocent person should ever have to endure. But to make matters worse, Karina's murder isn't the first tragedy of this sort to plague the Castro family. My brother was murdered 20 years prior to Karina being killed. We had just went through his 20-year anniversary. In 2002, Karina's uncle, Damon Whitney, was gunned down after pulling into a friend's driveway as a result of an outstanding drug debt. The killer, a 31-year-old by the name of Kenneth Watson, had already been on the run for several weeks when he walked up to the driver's side of Damon Whitney's vehicle and opened fire. Watson was wanted by police regarding a separate incident, one where he kidnapped his girlfriend while high on meth and subsequently led to police on a high-speed chase throughout Northern California. It's hard to imagine losing one family member to a senseless murder, never mind two. Karina's de facto mother Audra told us that coping with her brother's murder is something she still struggles with to this day, decades later. 
But unlike Karina's killer, it's a certainty that her brother's killer will never see a day outside of the prison walls. In contrast to Landetta, Kenneth Watson was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in 2009. He'll never get out. We don't have to fight this. He doesn't, we'll never see the light of day, you know. Like she says, my granddaughter should not have to, to go and say that anything to this parole board. You know, they are struggling just enough losing their mother. And while there is a possibility that Jose Rafa Landetta will never be released, there's also a slim chance that he might. Upon closing our interview with Karina Castro's family, Maya's husband Tanner had a pretty profound message we thought was also important to share. He spoke on the general accountability of men, their mental health, and where that responsibility ultimately lies. I want to hold men accountable. We have to start being better men. For all of us men that have mental health issues, you're not alone. The stepping up that I'm talking about is going and getting help. Knowing that you have a problem and going and getting help, whether that means talking to a, a psychiatrist or whether that means picking up the phone and calling your dad or whether that means talking to a brother. But there's too many men out here that are given too many excuses. Now, we were admittedly a bit taken aback by Tanner's introspection, but also couldn't help but notice his choice of words, particularly when he used the phrase, us men, in regards to those suffering from mental health issues. As our conversation furthered, Tanner surprised us one last time before the call ended, when he informed us that he, too, is a diagnosed schizophrenic. I was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. It's another reason why this case really bothers me is because I've met this guy, I've talked with him. It feels like a big excuse, if I'm being honest with you. I don't look at my diagnosis as a problem. I look at it as like a gift to be able to see the world in a different perspective than other people see it. It just bothers me when people take this as an excuse because it's not, you can live with it, you can work through it, you can understand it, you can talk to somebody. And you can work through those things. It's it, Doing those things is not holding yourself accountable. When analyzing the unlikely juxtaposition between Tanner Carpenter and Jose Landetta, two members of the same extended family with the same diagnosis, it's difficult not to compare the two men and how vastly different their lives have transpired, despite that shared diagnosis. On the one hand, you have Landetta, a violent abuser of drugs, alcohol, and women who eventually became a convicted murderer. But on the other side of the coin, there's Tanner, a loving husband and father to four children, who actively chooses to remain proactive in his therapy and treatment. Unlike Jose Landetta, Tanner Carpenter says he does not abuse substances. He's aware of the heightened and extremely negative side effects that come along with it as someone who also carries that complex diagnosis. I'm, I used to be a heavy drinker, so I used to be able to drink a lot before I would get drunk. But now after my diagnosis and me being more self-aware and me being you know, more conscious, for me, I, I would say that schizophrenic people need to stay away from alcohol. In the eyes of Karina Castro's loved ones, Jose Landetta knew exactly what he was doing the day he showed up at her apartment and subsequently defiled her body, despite any history of mental illness or a prior diagnosis. If there's any positive message to be learned, hidden beneath this senseless tragedy, 
It's that no matter what cards you've been dealt in life, we all have a choice on how to persevere and proceed forward. And these choices ultimately impact not only ourselves, but the people around us, and perhaps most impact those who we love. Had Jose Landetta chosen to take care of his mental health, rather than actively destroy it, Karina Castro may still be alive today. Unfortunately, she became a victim of his selfishness, and to no fault of her own, paid dearly with her life. Karina's two daughters are no longer under the care of DCF, and have since been taken in by immediate family members. The city of San Carlos created a relief fund for the two girls, which, to date, has raised over $50,000 from generous supporters. The community fund is no longer accepting donations. Karina's beloved pets have also found new owners, and hopefully their forever homes. I will say that I've seen many podcasts. You know, my wife is big on the true crime stuff, and I, I, you're very respectful, man. I can see that you're very, you're grounded. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. I do appreciate it. It just took us a while to be comfortable talking about it. 